Colossians chapter 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. Well, as a general rule, people have either celebrated or condemned government this week. The reality is that the seeds for these types of decisions were planted many years ago. We are only seeing what we knew would take place at some point. America long ago took her stand against her creator. America long ago began a self-destructive course when it fell prey to a postmodern philosophy which essentially strips truth of its authority. In our society's mind, the Bible has no authority, and now it appears that as a society, our Constitution has been stripped of its authority. But not much has really changed. Not much has really changed. We stand in the same place we stood previous to now. If you were banking on our government to rescue us from economic peril, you may have been disappointed this past week by a ruling. If you were banking on our government rescuing us from a sexual revolution, you may have been disappointed this past week based upon a ruling. If this was your hope, you were not too different from the people in Jesus' day who made this statement, we have no king but Caesar. I don't think that your hope was in our government. Am I right? Am I right? We have a better hope. We have a sure hope. Listen, friends, you can only have one king. You can only have one king. And while we could talk about politics, that is not what we are here for. We do not stand for, against, beside, underneath, or near politics. Politics is not who we are and what we do. We are a gospel church. Because the gospel changes us, the gospel rescues us, and the gospel keeps us, and the gospel will finish its job in us. Past, present, future. Justified, sanctified, glorified. That's what the gospel does. We're going to talk about a different battle this morning. There is a deeper challenge that we face every day than the issues that relate to governmental policy. Most of the time, governmental policy is out of our control. The war for allegiance in our soul continues every day. The war for allegiance in our soul continues every day regardless of public policy. We're in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 1 right down to verse 11. I know 1 through 4 we dealt with last week. This morning, 5 through 11. But we're going to read the whole passage here, beginning in verse 1, where Paul writes, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed, or is being renewed, in the knowledge, or in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all. Christ is all. And in all believers. There has been a lot in the book of Colossians about death. To this point, Paul has tried to convince us, and he has done a good job. He's tried to convince us that believers have been united together in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're not going to go through these passages. We've already covered it. But I just want to recap these concepts of death that Paul has communicated to us in the book of Colossians. First of all, Jesus' death has provided reconciliation for our wicked works in, first, in Colossians 1, 20-22. He's taught us that. Secondly, We have been united together in His death, in Jesus' death, in Colossians 2.11 and 12, in Colossians 2.20, and then again in Colossians 3.1 and 3. And he gives us another insight here in this passage that we have before us. Through our union with Jesus Christ, we have already put off the old man. Through our union... With Jesus Christ, we have already put off the old man. Look at verse 9. It says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And so we have this interesting new concept that he brings to our attention. And what we'll notice from this passage, this bullet point, we are in Christ, or, or what we are in Christ should be displayed in life. What we are in Christ, should be displayed in life. Okay, so we're, okay, good. We know that we died with Christ and His death has purchased our redemption, our reconciliation. Good. We're united together in the death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. This is good. We have life. This is very exciting. Uh, we're supposed to recognize that what has already happened in us spiritually is the old man is, is dead. Yes in our position with Christ, and in that life that we have, Jesus Christ is to be displayed. Because we have died and our lives are hidden 
with Christ in God, because we have been raised with Him, we should live for a new kingdom. We should live for a new kingdom. This means that we can only serve one king. Only serve one king. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to notice three necessities for serving our king. Three necessities for serving our king. Here's the first. Living for the kingdom of God necessitates putting off the garments of worldly passions. Very interesting the way he points this out. Living for the kingdom of God or God's kingdom necessitates putting off worldly passions or the garments of worldly passions. Now, he actually uses two different terms in this passage, verse 5 and then verse 8, two different words for this concept of either putting off or putting to death. The the putting to death here in verse 5 is actually another word. It's nekrao. And if you have any background in, in medical field, you're hearing the word necrosis. That's death. The death of cells. He's telling us to do something radical. Kill something. Our King James Bibles read, mortify therefore the deeds of the body. You love the term mortify. What is he telling us to mortify? Your members which are upon the earth. And I ask this question, who does this voluntarily? Anyone say, oh yes, let me chop that thing off. (laughs) Well, fortunately, he's talking spiritually and not uh, physically. We're not having to lob anything off or lop anything off. That's good. Rather not do that. Someone who knows that there's only one king who can rule is willing to put to death their own desires. Because what they recognize is when my desires compete with his and I yield to my desires, I'm making myself king. And friends, you can only serve one king. You can't please you and please him. It doesn't work that way. It's one or the other at a particular time. So who's willing to voluntarily do this? It's someone that recognizes this ultimate duality. It will either be you ruling or your crucified, risen Lord who is ruling. And I think we have to ask this question. Who do you think is going to do a better job? You know what it looks like when you rule. And you know what it feels like when you start to experience the results of your rulership. And you realize that it doesn't feel good on the back end of it. When our Lord, our risen Lord, the one who gave himself for us, the one who was crucified for us, is ruling us, there's an entirely different experience in our lives. He tells us to put to death your members which are on the earth. Now, he's not talking about my fingers or my eyes or my ears or my toes. He's talking about our faculties. He's talking about that which which empowers the individual parts. And and he says it similarly in the book of Romans chapter 6. Listen to what it says there. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, 
but present or yield yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God. Yield your members to God. Submit your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He says in verse 19 of the same passage, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lewdness, leading to more lawlessness... They say lewdness. Sorry, I misread that. To lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness. What does it lead to? Who's doing the work of sanctification? God is. He always is the one that does it. He brings salvation. He brings sanctification. He brings glorification. Can I, can I bring salvation? No. Can I bring sanctification? No. Can I bring glorification? No. It's always a work of God. What does God tell me to do? Here I am. Here I am. I will not yield myself to me as king. I'll yield myself to you as king. What types of passions back in Colossians 3 is he talking about? He talks about very very specific passions. Worldly passions. First of all, he says fornication. Now, let's define that properly. The Greek term is pornea. Pornea. Can you hear a word in there? Pornography. The concept of pornea is any sexual immorality leading to actual action or the actual action itself. Well, what would we define as fornication? What, what, what is a sexual immorality? Well, any sexual relationships outside of the way God defines marriage. Right? How does God define marriage? One man, one woman, one lifetime. That, that's how he defines marriage. You see it in the book of Genesis chapter 2. It's very clear. Jesus confirms that opinion in Matthew chapter 19. It's very clear. Any sexual activity, whether in here, our minds, or with our actual bodies, is fornication. He says, radically, let's put to death the members of the body. Let's put to death these, these passions within us. And the first one he mentions is fornication. The second one is very much related. It's uncleanness. Uncleanness in thought, word, or deed. It also has a sexual connotation. He then says, passion. It's a negative lust. Evil desire, he says in verse 5. The term evil desire is used three times in our New Testament. Each time the context is sexually related sins. He's very clear. He's saying these things have no part in the new creation. These things have no part in the believer's life. Anything that touches, comes near, or smells like fornication, sexual immorality, any of it, it all needs to be put to death. This is what he tells us to do. Hmm. All right. And then he throws this one in here. Covetousness. Covetousness. A desire for more or something you don't have. Now you'll note, in the law of God, in the Ten Commandments, covetousness, one of the applications thereof is don't covet your neighbor's wife. So we again have this sense here that he's still talking about sexual sin. Why is he bringing the hammer down in this? Because it's common to man. It's common to man. We're in the 21st century. First century. There's no difference. 
its manifestation, its publicity, and the like. Maybe that's different, right? The legislation, different. Okay, I, I understand. He's talking about the same stuff. He says, put it to death. Covetousness, he, he gives a little tagline on the end here, and probably it may relate to the whole list, fornication, uncleanness, um, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, or it may just be attached to covetousness. Either way, he says, which is idolatry. Idolatry. Who is the recipient of worship in fornication? Me. Who is the recipient of worship in uncleanness? Me. Who is the recipient of worship in passion? Me. Who is the recipient of worship in evil desire? Guess what? It's me again. Who is the recipient of worship in covetousness? Why do you covet it? Because I want it. I need it. I must have it. It'll be better for me. I'm worshiping me. And I remind you, friends, you can only have one king. Just one. So he tells us, put to death these passions. Why put these passions to death? Well, he gives us some reasons behind it. Verse 6. First of all, he'll tell us that they bring wrath. These actions bring wrath. It says in verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming, is coming upon the sons of disobedience. All right, let's just get this out of the way. Is wrath coming on God's children? Are you sure? Why are you so sure the wrath of God's not coming on the children of God? Because God poured His wrath out on His Son so we would never experience it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No wrath. Who is He talking about? He's talking about those who, who don't embrace Christ. Those whose sins are not forgiven in Christ. The wrath of God is coming. Now, why is it coming? Why hasn't it already come? I would say, and I think I... Well, I'll I'll tell you what I believe the Bible says. The wrath of God has been stayed by the cross. The wrath of God has been stayed. It's like frozen by the cross. You get this guy, he's on death row, and he's looking for a pardon. He's looking for someone to stay his execution. Prolong this, we need some more time. Stay my execution. Well, Christ's death on the cross has stayed the wrath of God upon the world. The Bible says it this way in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. The complete settlement of God's wrath for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, I hate it when people make stupid statements. And sometimes I make the stupid statements, so forgive me if I'm the one that ever makes a stupid statement. But I I really, it bothers me when people make stupid statements about God. And you've heard it. Maybe you've said it. If you do, just repent. If God doesn't judge the United States soon, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Have you heard that one before? Oh my goodness, please. Who are you to talk to God about what he should and shouldn't do? There's a reason why 
Wrath is long. There's a reason why God is slow to anger his son. His son stayed God's wrath against sin. Listen to how Paul writes it in Romans chapter 3. It says, Whom God, speaking again about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, the term there is mercy seat, as a mercy seat by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that's long-suffering, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Why put off these passions? Because these passions, fornication, uncleanness, uh, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, because of these things, God's wrath comes. But God has stayed his wrath. And it says that the wrath is coming though. So it's good news that Jesus stayed the wrath, but that doesn't mean that the wrath is forever subsided for every person. We are not universalists. It says the ones that are justified are the ones who have faith in Christ. There is still judgment and there is still wrath. And God doesn't want us to engage ourselves in practices that He says obtain His wrath. Yes, He's removed them away in Christ. Praise God! but don't still live in them, they bring God's wrath. These are the kinds of things he doesn't approve of. There's a second reason he gives for why we should put these things to death. They are marks of the unconverted life. They are marks of what we were like before we knew Jesus. Look at verse 7. He says, in which... You yourselves once walked. You used to walk in these when you lived in them. So he uses two different words. Peripatao, it means this this constant walking. And living in them is a different word. Zao, it's you had your life in them. Well, this isn't the only time that Paul has talked about this kind of thing, but but let's we're going to go there in, in a minute. In fact, why don't you start heading there? First Corinthians chapter six. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. These actions, we, we used to walk in these, these thoughts, in these ways. And he's saying, this is not the life of a believer. This is not what God has redeemed you for. He's redeemed you from this, not for this. Right? Does that make sense? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you think we're dealing with something new, read Corinthians in Colossians, and Ephesians, and the Old Testament, and you'll find out that what we're dealing with today is nothing new. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. And I will add, just hold, hold your mind here, I will add to you liars from the book of Revelation. Liars. None of them, none of them, will inherit the kingdom of God. Close your Bibles and go home now. Everyone can go home very, very sad. Because you just know, okay, well then I guess I'm not going. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Look at what he's telling us. This used to be the practice. This used to be the way of life. All of these things could have been said about us in one way or another. And and this used to be our life. But he says, look at what God has done. It used to be like this. And now a, a different way. The record has changed. That's good. We're going to talk about that. But God wants for our condition to display our position. Not simply to revel in our position, though we do, but he wants us also to display that position that we have. This is why he tells us to put to death the members that are earthen, these, these faculties that are leaning toward fornication and uncleanness and, and passion and evil desire and covetousness because they're marks of the unconverted life. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. Is that what we were just talking about in Colossians and 1 Corinthians? No longer live the rest of our lives for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Listen, to live for our king, we must put off the garments of worldly passions. Keep following here. There's more. Head back to Colossians chapter 3. We can only live for one king. We're living for the kingdom of God. Okay, good. We must put off the garments of worldly passion. Second, Paul goes on and he tells us Living for God's kingdom necessitates putting off the garments of worldly responses. Putting off the garments of worldly responses. Okay, so we've talked about the biggie sins now, okay? The biggie sins are out of the way. Now we talk about these other ones that we may be a little bit more tolerant of. And he says in verse 8 of Colossians 3, But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So you used to walk in the passions of verse 5, 
But now, put off these responses. What are these responses? Anger. Just to kind of differentiate between these terms, anger would be like a slow burn. You ever seen an angry person? That you can just see them living in anger? They just, they're always on edge with that anger. And then he says wrath. Wrath would be outbursts of rage, very quick and very strong, right? It, it, they flare up, wrath. Then he says malice, ill will or desire to injure. Then he says, blasphemy. Now we can take blasphemy to its nth degree and it's talking negatively about God or, or attributing to God what should be attributed to Satan or attributing to Satan what should be attributed to God. That's the ultimate end of blasphemy. But blasphemy is also just injurious speech. We can, we can blaspheme one another. He's talking about injurious speech. Then he says, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now, let me ask you a question. These sound more like daily problems. Right? You get frustrated? Well, there's wrath. Do you ever have ill will towards someone? There's malice. Do you ever say something negatively about someone behind their back? Well, there you have blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Well, that can be any manner of things. Our words are supposed to bring health and life. Our words are supposed to build others up. This only happens when we're in the Spirit. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That it may give grace to those who hear. Angry, wrathful, malicious, blasphemous, filthy words are the antithesis of spirit-filled words. So I have to ask you a question now. As we're going through this, we're looking at, okay, put to death fornication and uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Put them to death. And then he says, put off the garments, essentially, of anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language out of your mouth. I have to ask you a question. Are these verses, verse 5, verse 8, and then what he says in verse 9, don't lie to one another, are these displaying grace or law? We learned, right? Law, right? Why is it law? God's making a demand. God is making a demand. Where you see demand, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, wherever you see demand, you see law. God is bringing the law here. What is it? Put to death the deeds of the body. Put off wrath and anger and malice. Don't do these things. Don't lie to one another. He's talking law. Okay, this is, it's good to know this. Remember this. How do we meet the demands of the law? Grace. Grace is the answer, friends. Paul is talking law in Colossians 3, 5, 8, and 9. He's talking law. But it doesn't discount what he's taught us to this point. It actually couples together nicely with what he's taught us to this point. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 says this. It's on the screen behind me. 
For if you live according to the flesh, that's you being the king, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, what will happen? You'll live. So we've got us being king, or the Spirit being king. One brings death, the other brings life. One brings forth the indulgence of the flesh, the other brings forth the crucifixion of the flesh. Do we see the difference? Who's doing the work? The Spirit is. That's how we put to death the deeds of the body. So don't read law without an understanding of God's grace. God's grace is on all the pages of Scripture. Even where we see law, we have to see it through the lens of grace because we can't fulfill the law of our own accord. So here we are. We want to live for the one king. Not this king. Not the small K king. Not the king that's going to indulge and ruin our lives. We want to live for the the capital K king. The king that was descended from heaven. The king that fulfilled perfectly the law. The king that was rejected and despised and beaten and crucified and buried and rose again. That king. The risen king. If we're going to live for that kingdom, we must put off the filthy garments of worldly passions and the filthy garments of worldly responses. And now we come to this third necessity. If we're going to live for our King Jesus, we must, it necessitates displaying His image, not our own. Now we come to verse 9 in the text and it throws us a little curveball. Look at what it says. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another. And so you look at that and you say, alright. So he's adding more to the speech thing. Right? Just so you know, he gave a list of five in verse 5 and a list of five in verse 8. There's symmetry there. I don't think he just added one to that list. Those are vice lists. And those vice lists generally come in fives. And what he's telling us is, well, these vices and these vices. And when you come to verse 9, it's like he turns the page to something just a little bit different. He could be simply adding another prohibition related to the tongue. I don't think that's a very good interpretation of it. More likely, Paul is using this similarly to how James used it. Now, indulge me for a moment. Stay where you're at in Colossians. In James chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, here's what God's Word says. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Don't boast and lie against the truth. He's talking about lying here. But what is he saying? Don't say, hey, yeah, I'm wise and understanding. Hmm? And then we don't show that our works are done in the meekness of wisdom. In fact, what we do instead is we have self-seeking and bitter envy in our hearts. What he's saying is, if you say you're wise and understanding and you live with self Uh, selfish ambitions and vain deceit, what you're really saying is this. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong. 
You're lying about your own self. And here in Colossians, he's doing a very similar thing, in my opinion. He says, put off these deeds of the body. Throw off these garments of bad responses. Don't lie against the truth. Don't lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. He's, he's brought something very interesting to our attention. Since believers have died with Christ, since we have been freed from sin's dominion, we should not allow sin to rule over us. He says, since you have put off. He's talking about something that's already taken place. So to live now, in this day and age, in a way that's different than what God has already done in your life, is to lie against the truth. Don't lie to one another. You've already put off the deeds of the body. When? When you died with Christ. Paul uses the same word here, putting off the deeds of the body, as he used in Colossians 2.15. It's the only two places he uses in all the New Testament. And what he said in Colossians 2.15 is that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. Disarmed. You know what that means? Okay, you go into the bank and you're going to rob it, right? And you go into the back area and everyone's, everyone's all, you know, you know they're, they're, they're covered up and they're tied up and they're bound and gagged and everything else. And you know how to disarm an alarm. And you shut it off so it doesn't work anymore. You've disarmed that thing. Paul said that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He's made them not work. And he uses the same word here in Colossians 3 when he says, you've died to that stuff. It no longer works. It's dead. Well, that's, that's good news. Except it doesn't feel like they're dead. He says, and you have put on the new man. Because you have this new life in Christ. Because you have this new man in you. When you yield yourself to your sinful passions... You're not displaying the God who made you new in Christ. And so I want, I want to think through this. Because as we look at this passage, he's, he's delving into what I would say is of the utmost importance. Utmost importance in understanding our Christian walk. Take a look at Ephesians 4, because he gives us a, a little more clear communication there. But we'll notice how these two passages will work together. This next illustration is brought to you by Lowe's. I have to diversify my income somehow. (laughs) Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Okay, so he's giving, set the stage. He says, don't walk like the world. Right, is that clear? He sets the context. Look down at verse 20 now. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness 
and holiness. He does something here that is of utmost importance for us to understand. He says, put off the old man because it only grows corrupt. You will never be a better redeemed human. Your humanity never gets better. Your flesh never gets better, more spiritual. Put it off. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, know what what God's truth is. Then he says, put on the new man, which was created, it's already done, was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so here we have this situation in life. And the situation in life is this. We can either be filled with our own human will, and we're going to fill ourselves to the brim because nobody is not filled to the brim with something. We're either filled to the brim with our flesh. Now, if we're filled to the brim with our flesh, what happens when we're bumped? What spills out if we're filled with our flesh? Flesh spills out, right? You're either in this condition here, or, get some nice conquered grape juice, unfiltered, right? Here we are. And this is representing of the Spirit. And the Spirit will produce what? Fruit, right? Hope you're not really thirsty. (laughs) Now, what happens when this person, filled with the Spirit, is bumped? What comes out? What happens when this guy is bumped? Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Can we, can we just take this spirit and this guy and just add it in? Oh, we've got problems, right? What's coming, what's coming out? A little, little bit of flesh, a little bit of spirit? doesn't work that way, friends. You are either filled with the flesh or you're filled with the Spirit. It's one or the other. You either are living in the old man, which the ramification is flesh, or you're living in the new man, which the ramification is true righteousness and holiness. It's all or nothing. When we consider this this reality, we think, okay, well, I want to have a stained table here. When we consider this reality... We're, we're recognizing I have a decision to make, and that's just one king. I'm the king, or the spirit's the king. We're never empty. We're either all filled with the flesh, or all filled with the spirit. And the manifestation of that is what comes out when there's a rub in life. Now what's interesting that Paul does for us in Colossians is he adds a different concept to the mix. He adds, he adds the fact that the image of God is being renewed in us. Is being. Like in Ephesians it says this is a done deal. When, when you put off the old man and put on the new man, true righteousness and true holiness, they flow from your life. So like a new believer, when they put on Christ, when they're bumped, true righteousness and holiness comes out. Uh, a seasoned believer, we'll call it that, they've, they've been around for a little while, they, they've, been, they've been at this for a while, when, when they're filled with the Spirit, when they're putting on the new man, and they've got a rub or a bump, guess what comes out when they're bumped? The Spirit comes out. 
and it's all or nothing. It doesn't give any variation of amounts. But what Paul does in Colossians chapter 3 is he said, and this new man is being renewed, not in true righteousness and holiness, because that's all or nothing. It's being renewed in knowledge. So what he's talking about there is capacity. Capacity. So we've got this, this Christian here. They can be filled to the brim with the Spirit. Sorry about the mess here. This person, I don't even know if I have enough grape juice for that mason jar here. I don't. So pretend like this is going to get filled to the brim. Would have been better to think this out a little bit more. Just imagine this one is also filled. When they're bumped, what comes out? The Spirit. So just as spiritual, one to the next, right? Just as spiritual, because what comes out is Spirit. However, the capacity of this one is not the same capacity of this one, is not the same capacity of this one, which is the benefit of knowing God for time. What, what is that? How do, we, how do we know Him? Well, first of all, we're learning more of what He's told us. Addition, in addition to that, we're also learning more of how he relates to us and deals with us. We have this background of his faithfulness, and we can cling to his faithfulness. We're learning him. We're learning him, and we're pressing toward the mark that we might know all that he is. So when we're, when we're in the Spirit, we're all in. When we're out of the Spirit, guess what? You know, here we are, this new believer... They're filled to capacity right now. And so when they're bumped, spirit comes out. Well, when, when they choose to be their own king, guess what? Instead of being filled with the spirit, they're filled with the flesh again. And that, that small capacity though it be, now when they're bumped, flesh comes out. Same thing, same thing. And so we're looking at our lives and what we're recognizing is this. For me to be... For me to be effective in my walk with the Lord, I can't be filled with my flesh. You know, I can know a whole lot. I can know a whole lot. And I can have a whole lot of experience with the Lord. And I can still be filled with my flesh. And when you're filled with the flesh, guess what? What do you expect to come out? Well, let me, let me tell you later. I'll give you a little homework assignment. Read Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. Read right to the end of the chapter. It's only a few verses. It goes from 16 to like 25, I believe it is. Verses 18, 19, and 20 tell you what it looks like for a believer or unbeliever, who walks in the flesh. What's the point? The point is this. God wants to put His image on display through you. God wants to put His image on display through the church. And in various capacities when we choose, when by God's grace we're filled with the Spirit, we've put off the old man, we've put on the new in various capacities, guess what's happening? 
People are seeing the Spirit of God. They're seeing the image of God pour out in true righteousness and holiness and a deep, embedded, intimate knowledge of God. People don't, don't see God. They don't say, well, where, I don't, where is God? I don't feel God. I don't see God. I don't know where God is. Let me tell you, the church, the church displays the image of God. Or it should. Which is why these concepts in Colossians 3 are so important. Because if we just say, you know what? I'm saved. Everything's fine. I don't have to worry about anything. Well, if that's the spirit that you have, it's not like God's going to pour His wrath out on you. He already poured His wrath out on Jesus. But you know what? All these times that you could be showing forth the display of who Jesus is, what are you showing instead? Oh, those people, they're no different. Oh, they talk about Jesus, but mm, anger, wrath, malice. Listen, be careful what you post on Facebook about things you don't agree with. Because it might just sound like anger. And it might just sound like wrath. And it might just sound like filthy communication coming out of your fingers, your mouth. It might just sound that way. When bitterness and anger over the world, legislating the world? Really? What do you expect? Did you expect them to do something godly? You and I have enough problem of our own allowing God's spirit to produce godliness in us, don't we? So we get all bent out of shape when the world does what the world does. Be careful. Be careful because what we do then is we're displaying our flesh with every intention of trying to put God on display and you haven't really done it. What a privilege we have. We have a privilege to live for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what Paul is simply telling us, if you just kind of strip it all down, don't substitute yourself for King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help because we struggle. Our passions sometimes deceive us. Sometimes our intentions may be, we think, right, and sometimes they're not. So we ask that you'd help us, by your Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the body. We know that you are capable of doing that. Your Spirit is capable of doing that. We ask that you would help us to allow you to do your work. That the body of Christ would see Jesus in the body of Christ. And that the world would see Jesus in the body of Christ. We are deeply, deeply in need of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.